0: Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully, we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Hey, isn't that awesome? So, you know, I, I know you guys know this at all of our locations, but whenever you give to Word of Life Church, it's always twice-sown seed, meaning it doesn't stay here, it goes from us to our community and to churches and ministry all over the world, ministries all over the world. You know, we operate very strictly here financially to create as much margin as possible, meaning our income always exceeds our expenses. And with that margin, we ask the Lord what he would have us do with that, whether it's to pay things off. And we have no debt other than building debt. We don't have any facility debt or credit card debt or any of those kinds of things. Hey, man, How many of you can thank God for that? Um, so, um, you know, in the, the middle of all those things, we create as much margin as possible to see should we, you know, pay down even, you know, some of the buildings we owe about 5.7 million of left on this facility. Uh, Which is over 30 million of what it it took. Uh, So it's amazing we only have 5.7. And then we had a facility given to us that had about 1.8 million worth of debt. Uh, We just paid $200,000 towards that to take it to 1.6 million. So that'll be finished fast. Uh, But out of that, every month we pray, Lord, what would you have us do with that margin? And so we fight for the margin because where there is no margin, there can be no ministry. And so we want as much margin as possible in our finances to be able to give ministry. And uh, the Lord had put it on our heart to just double our support for all of our missionaries. That's, uh, you know, we had heard reports that, you know, through COVID, much of their support had dropped off. So we just decided to cover their gaps as a ministry and we're gearing up for Christmas. We're going to send them all a Christmas bonus so their families can have Christmas and all of those kinds of things. And so that type of generosity, it flows through us. Uh, But it couldn't flow through us unless, by God's grace, it flowed to us. And so I just want to say thank you on behalf of each and every one of our missionaries and myself uh, that we never have to do any arm twisting. We never have to do any manipulation. We don't have to sell you holy water or any of those things uh, to try to get you to give that out of your love and your faith in our great God, the richness of your liberality is famous all over the world. And not only have our missionaries seen it, but how many of you know every time you give, whether it's online, watching online, or every time we give at one of our physical locations, that God sees that gift? How many of you know God sees it? It comes up, the Bible says, as a sweet-smelling aroma. Uh, into the the nostrils of God and out of that I know it blesses the father and we also know that through this God wants to bless our giving so that we can have more seed to sow and also more bread to eat And so it's rare that we do this. Oftentimes we kind of skip over this, but the the Lord has just put it on my heart to occasionally just take a moment and to just speak a blessing over everyone who is giving. And this is not designed to get you to give. If you don't want to give, don't. If you don't want to give to this ministry, give to another ministry. Uh, You can come here and come. Uh, But we believe in the power of this, and more than telling you about it, we demonstrate it. Uh, and out of that belief that it's just in the air, and we have been able to do some really amazing things for the kingdom of God. We literally are changing the landscape of heaven through radical generosity, Uh, and you guys are, are just helping us do that. So I just want to pray a blessing over everyone who is giving today and just ask God to do what he said he would do. So let's bow our heads today, even online. Take a moment in your living room. Bow your head as we pray over our offerings today. Father, we come before you at all of our locations today, and we just thank you that you are the Lord of the harvest. And Father, we just thank you for every seed that we have sown, for every seed our church has sown, for every seed these families have sown, for every seed these individuals have sown. We thank you, Father that you take that seed and you make it go into the earth and bring forth and bud. Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name that you take our seed that is sown and you cause it to multiply and to come back to us in many ways. Father, we say the windows of heaven are open over our churches and over our families and over our lives, and you are pouring out blessings that we have room enough not to receive. And, Father, we thank you that you make us strong financially, not just so that we can say we're strong financially, but so that we can bear the burdens of the weak all over the world. Thank you, Father, for your amazing blessing on these families. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, I want to invite everybody uh, to open up your Bibles with me today to the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3. And then we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to teach off of these verses. Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll start here in verse number 14. Paul's writing this, and he says, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to bow sometimes. Um, You know, posture matters to God. Oftentimes, an outward posture is a reflection of an inward heart. Uh, Which is why even in worship, somebody says, well, does it matter if I lift my hand? Well, yes and no. God's looking at your heart more than he's looking at your hand. But oftentimes, an outward posture is a sign of an inward heart. And so in prayer, from time to time, it'd be wise to bow your knees Uh, And to just get before God with a spirit of humility and a spirit of saying, not my will, but your will be done. I humble myself before you. So that's not my message, but it's good anyway. Uh, For this cause, I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this in verse 15. Of whom the whole family, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Notice the Father and his family the father and his family. Going over to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look in here in verse number 26, it says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So apparently, anger and it giving place to wrath also gives place to the devil. Verse 29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, notice this, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you, so ought you to forgive one another, the Father and his family. This week, Uh, I had a lunch appointment. I like lunch. Anybody else like lunch? I won't talk too much about it uh, because we're awful close to lunch, and I want you focusing on on what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you and not the lunch that is going to come after this. But I like lunch, and so when someone says, let's do lunch, I'm like, that's the kind of appointment I'm talking about. Uh, And so uh, anyway, had a lunch appointment, and at the end of it, I'm walking out of the restaurant, and as I'm walking out, this uh, lady calls my name, she says, "Pastor Joel," and I turn around and I look at her, and she had uh, her mask on. Uh, but I recognized her eyes, and they looked healthy. How many of you know, the eyes are the windows of the soul? And it just looked healthy. And I recognized her uh, from a service uh, months ago. Is that an 8:30 service here at this location? And uh, at the end of the service, I was getting ready to do the altar call, and I just had it big on my heart of God being our heavenly Father. You know, and so many times we say these things, but they don't really dawn upon our heart, the revelation of it. It's information and not revelation. When it's revelation, it's just real to you. And it was becoming real to me like God is our Father and how amazing that is. And I saw a girl sitting over here in this section at that 8.30 service, and uh, I just felt impressed that she had been going through something with her earthly father. And so I said, every head bowed, every eye closed, I said, there's a a girl over here in this section, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to embarrass you. How many of you know the Lord doesn't want to embarrass you? I said, I'm not going to embarrass you. Uh, But the Lord is just dealing with my heart that your your earthly father has put you almost through a grinder. Just hurt you. And I could just sense it in the spirit just how deep that hurt had been. And I said, and God wants you to know that everything your earthly father was not, your heavenly father wants to be. And if you'll make a decision to draw near to you, he'll heal you. How many of you know God's a God of healing? How many of you know some of the greatest things that he heals is not on the outside but on the inside? Amen. How many of you know God can take away your shame? (laughs) What a gift. He can take away your shame. He can take away your hurt too. And so I I said that everything that your earthly father was not, your heavenly father wants to be to you. And as you draw closer to him, he'll work a healing in your heart and begin shining brightly so through you that it it will lead uh, to a restoration even with your your earthly father. And said some other things. And at the end of the service, you know, had the altar call, that kind of thing. And I'm walking off stage to get ready for the 10 o'clock. And I see my phone is, is lighting up, and it's a guy in the church that I knew, and he said, hey, that girl is, is someone I brought. And he said, is it okay if I, I bring her back? Like, she really wants to meet you. I'm like, sure. And so, you know, bring her back, and we're talking. And she walks in, and she is just bawling. And she talked about what her earthly father had kind of put her through, And it is the definition of being put through a grinder. Um, And she talked about how deeply hurt she had been and did not know the path forward for reconciliation with him or what forgiveness looked like with him because her sister still lived in that household as well. And she felt a measure of responsibility for them. And so I said, well, I don't know all the, the details and I don't know your father, um, so I don't know specifically how to instruct him, but I do know to tell you what the Holy Spirit told you in service, and that is, as you draw near to your heavenly Father, he will heal you. And out of that healing, it could be so profound that it leads to a healing with your, your earthly father. And so we kind of left with that, and I prayed for her. And when I saw her at the restaurant, I could just see she was healing. Like I could see just the, the difference of the eyes of a, a life there. And how many of you know God's looking for progress, not perfection? It's not immediately you've got to be right and do everything right and cross all your spiritual eye, you know, cross all your spiritual T's and dot all your spiritual eyes. God has grace and mercy, space. You don't have to get it all together at once. You just bow your knee to Jesus. Let him prune you. Anyway, I could look in her eyes and I could see healing. And so I asked her, I said, well, how are you doing? And she said this. She said, I'm healing. And it wasn't like I'm not whole yet. It was joyful. It was confident in knowing I'm on the way to being whole. I'm healing. And how many of you know with God, he doesn't wait for perfection and call it Good. All, we, we do that sometimes. It's like, but I'm not whole yet. And God's like, but you're healing. Give me time. How I many of you know you got to give God time? Uh, and so out of this, um, she was healing and it was hopeful. And I was excited for her, I was joyful for her. She was getting better. And I, I left there and I just had it come big in my heart to talk about family hurt. Uh, This weekend, we're in a series entitled From Hurt to Whole, bringing us closer to the healer, Jesus. And I could sense this hurt uh, just arise in my heart as I was preparing this message that there are families that are hurting, marriages that are hurting, relationships within the family that are hurting, and I'll be honest and say, I don't even need the Holy Spirit to tell me that, because if you live long enough, you realize every family has some dysfunction in it. How many of you know that? Every family, every family has some dysfunction in it, and if you're in a family and you don't see any dysfunction in the family, that's because you are the dysfunction in the family, and no one wants to tell you about it, because every time they get close to you, there's more dysfunction, Every family has some level of dysfunction in it. And out of that, the reason why is because the devil hates God. He hates him. The whole point of creation was so that the father could have a family. He didn't make us because he got bored. It's like, got nothing else to do circle the universe a couple hundred times today, hold the whole world in the palm of my hand, I'm bored, let me create some drama. <laughs> no, the father wanted a family. That instinct you have in you, you got that from God. The father wanted a family. He wanted someone to walk with. He wanted someone to laugh with. He wanted someone to fellowship with. Isn't it amazing that your heavenly father wants to walk with you, talk with you, laugh with you? God created a family because he wanted one. And Satan saw that. And out of his deep hatred for God, he knew that the best way and the quickest way to hurt the heart of God would be to separate God's family, to attack God's family, and make a husband get in an argument with his wife, and make a son look at a brother and say, I'm not his keeper. The Lord spoke to me this year and said, there's a spirit of Cain at the beginning of this year, a spirit of Cain that will get in the earth, That'll make people say, I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not my brother's keeper. It's okay if there's distance. It's okay if there's a divide. It's okay if there's separation. I'm not my brother's keeper. And the answer is, yes, you are, Cain. But how did he get a heart like that? Through the enemy. Why did the enemy give him that heart? Not to just make him miserable. It's not about you for the enemy. It's about hurting the heart of God. And he knows if he can hurt you, that hurts God. Because as a parent, nothing hurts you more than when you see your children hurt. And what better way to hurt God's children than to make God's children hurt each other? So now they're hurt. And now nothing is hurting the heart of God more than to see his kids go to war so he attacks the family he attacks nations yes he attacks economies yes he attacks people yes but what he's after is the father and his family he's trying to build separation between you and God and he's trying to build separation between you and those that God genetically put close to you you can pick your friends you didn't pick your family and so he attacks that and he wars against it and he tries to create drama and separation and hurt and he tries to make children not obey your parents and parents to provoke children to wrath. Because he knows that when your family is operating and the beauty of what family can be, woo, you talk about blessing the heart of God, when there's laughter in your home, and peace in your home, and love in your home, and warmth in your home, you don't just enjoy it, God does too. You know what, that place of unity, that's not just a a place that gives warmth and ooey-gooey feelings and like the best Christmas memories and all of those types of things. Wherever there is unity, there is power. When Jesus was praying for his disciples, he did not pray, Lord, give them power. He said, Lord, here's what I want you to do. Make them one even as we are one. That just as our family, that you have three in one, the the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, just as there is no error between us that three are one, what I'm asking, Father, is that you place that same type of unity on these people. Why? Because wherever there is unity, there is power. When you get two or three people dwelling together in unity, you have an open heaven over those people. Wherever there's unity, that's where the oil of God hits that family and produces a power. There's not just warmth in unity. There's power in unity. And so the devil knows I can hurt your heart. The devil knows I can hurt the heart of God. The devil knows I can take away your power because the house divided against itself cannot stand. And so he knows he can do all that by attacking individuals and bringing in separation. But here's the hope today. Here's the hope. is people say, I just want a biblical family. It's like you think you do until you read the Bible. And when you read what, what biblical families went through, it's like, oh, my gosh. They like threw them in a pit, sold them to slavery, beat them, you know, all these kinds of things. Like, you just see all of this drama in these families. But here's what I love about a biblical family is the Bible shows us its flaws. And that gives us hope because it shows us no matter how dysfunctional our family is, there is someone in the Bible who had a greater dysfunctional family. And if God was able to do something in that family, that same great God can do something in ours. A biblical family is not one that has no problems. If you're taking notes, this would be my first one. A biblical family is not one that has no problems. A biblical family is just simply a family that knows what to do and who to turn to when those problems come. That's a biblical family. Uh, my family is short of perfection. How many of you know just because you're a preacher doesn't mean you're perfect? Uh, and I grew up the son of a preacher. Uh, and my uncle was a preacher, and it all started when my father made a decision to follow Jesus. He sensed the call of God on his life, started this church, and then my uncle came and started working for this church, and my grandmother came and started working for this church, and my grandfather became the head usher of this church, and so like this family working together, and honestly, it was a beautiful family, and some of my favorite memories came in the context of that family playing GI Joes on my grandmother's floor and like ordering, circling the Sears catalog of what I wanted for Christmas because my grandmother used to work at Sears so she always had the big Sears catalog. Kids, this was Amazon before Amazon. Like you, you could call in, what, you didn't have the internet, but you could call in and order what you wanted, show up at the door. If only Sears could have adopted that and they would have replaced Amazon. Anyway, uh, but here, all of these memories that I have were built in the context of this family. But as a child, I saw Satan work his way into this family and, and make it go through a grinder itself long story short i don't have time to go into all the details but there was a massive divide and massive division that happened between my uncle and my father and my uncle went and started a church and my father was hurt by that and my uncle was hurt that he was hurt by that and it became so sharp between them my grandmother went with my and grandfather went with my uncle it became so sharp between them that we did not talk to each other. Uh, To give you an idea of how deep the divide was, when my father passed away, my uncle was not allowed into the funeral service. And I, I say these things to give you hope (laughs) and to show you uh, that, okay, yeah, so it's not like picture-perfect roses, you know, these kinds of things in everybody's lives who's on stage. I went for years without seeing my grandmother, literally years, and before that, I didn't go two days without seeing her. I was at her house as much as I was at mine, and then now we don't talk for Christmas, Thanksgiving, anything. And so my father passed away when I was 17 and took over at 19. God had showed me all that he wanted to do through word of life in really supernatural ways. And he had to or else I wouldn't have taken the pastorate. (laughs) And I I agreed to do it and I start progressing towards it. And the, the Lord really deals with my heart. And life begins to become incredibly frustrating, and I'm not seeing any progress in ministry, and I'm seeing things kind of fall apart, and I'm like, God, you showed me this, but I'm not seeing any progress. God, you showed me like this great life, but it's the opposite of that. Everything's getting worse. And God started dealing with me about forgiveness. He said, you need to go to your uncle, and you need to repent. You need to ask him to forgive you, and you need to bring in a spirit of reconciliation. And I'm like, what? Like if there's anybody who's coming to anybody, it is them coming to me. (laughs) And one day I was praying and the Lord spoke to my heart, you know, that scripture where Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. You remember that scripture? Remember Lot's wife. I'm like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Remember Lot's wife. Here's the point of Lot's wife. The past doesn't matter unless you continue to live in it. The past, it doesn't matter unless you continue to live in it. Lot's wife is this microcosm of this woman who made incredible mistakes combined with her husband, led her family over into a wicked life, a wicked lifestyle, a wicked environment, brought all kinds of darkness into their home, made so many mistakes, and God didn't count any of her past against her. Aren't you glad that we have a God who is rich in mercy and incredibly gracious and kind? In the middle of this, she doesn't turn to God. God turns to angels and sends angels into their lives to literally pull them away from Sodom and Gomorrah. And while she is being taken out of her past, she turns around to look at it. And when she turns around to look at it, she turns into a pillar of salt and can make no progress towards her future. Here she's out of her past, but the past is still in her. Here she's out of the past, but she continues to look at the past. Here God has delivered her from that place, but she is in her presence still looking at that place. And God says the penalty of looking at the past is you can make no progress towards your future. That if you want to make progress towards your future, You have to let go of the pain of the past. That if I want to go forward with God, I've got to let go of my sin and other sin against me. And if I refuse to let go of the past, I can make no progress towards my future. But if I will learn to forget those things that are behind me and to press and to reach for those things that are in front of me, I can achieve my high calling in Christ Jesus. And so the Lord led me, he's like, look, you're not even, that happened over 10 years ago, but your mind still goes to that. You hear him on the radio, I would hear him on the radio on the way to my church to go preach. And I'm like, I got to turn that off, turn off Christian radio. He's like, what are you doing? Still in the past. And I went and I repented to him. And we had reconciliation And I saw God come in there and build a bridge and a life and a warm relationship. And I saw our church be able to bless that church. And I saw their church be able to bless our church. And I saw us both be able to do church in the same community with love and peace and harmony. And then I was at his bedside when he got sick and I wound up preaching his funeral. My grandmother has come back into our family, and come back into our lives. And God's been able to do this. And I don't know what has happened in your family. And maybe today it is a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a co-worker, but this offense, it is a trap that costs you your defense and it opens us up to this realm where Satan has place. And when he has place, he comes in to still kill, and destroy. And the Bible is like, I know this has made you angry, but let's please talk about this. Because if we don't talk about this, it's going to wind up with you giving place to the enemy. And God would come to us, like the the man sitting by the pool at Bethesda, where an angel is stirring up the waters and he's asking, do you really wanna be well? That's what he was asking me years ago. Do you wanna be well? It's like, yes, and he's like, forgive. And I'm like, no, thank you. Uh, It's like, do you wanna be well? Yes, okay, forgive, forgive. You've gotta forgive yourself. You've gotta forgive someone else. When Jesus is seen in the book of Revelation, do you know what he's holding? The Bible says he's holding the key of David. You know what the key of David is? David was a flawed man, but he was still a man after God's own heart. The key of David is learning how to forgive yourself when you make mistakes that others say are unforgivable and learning how to forgive someone else when they make other mistakes other people say you should kill them for. And when you can forgive yourself for other things that people could never forgive you of, and you are able to forgive someone else when other people say you could kill them for what what they did to you, then you hold the kingdom, uh, the, the key of David too, and the very next verse says, and he opens up a door which no man can shut, and he closes a door that no man can open. Holding the key of David. Learning how to forgive myself. And learning how to forgive everyone else. Why don't I forgive? Well, I'll tell you why I have found I don't forgive. Number one, I'm not done hurting yet. You ever been there? It's like, it's not time yet. Let's just let this linger for a minute. It's too soon to forgive. And it's always too soon until it's too late. I'm not done hurting yet. Number two, sometimes it feels like forgiveness. It opens me up. And makes me feel like I'm not protecting myself. That if I forgive them, it'll put me into a place where I am not protected. And so in the name of protecting myself, I have now closed my heart and my affections from that person. I I did a wedding uh, um, Friday in a beautiful place in Benton, Benton, Mississippi. Anybody from Benton, Mississippi? Got anybody here online? No one from Benton. It does not surprise me because I didn't see anybody live there. Uh, But there was a barn out in the middle of a field. Uh, And in in the barn, they turned it into like this beautiful chapel. Like I sent my wife pictures. I'm like, I want to live here. (laughs) Like beautiful chapel. And we walk in and part of the the vows were, I pledge to keep my heart open to you in every season of life. You ever close your heart to someone? Sometimes it's just for a minute, right? Like in marriage especially, sometimes it's happened. It's like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to look at you. I don't even want to smell you. Like, just (laughs) close the heart. Just close it. Close the heart. I'm like, I'm not ready yet. Close the heart. Well, we know that sometimes that's not just a temporary thing. It's a long term thing. And it's like, I'm not ready to let you back in. And if I forgive you, isn't that what I'm doing? And if I do, doesn't that mean you can hurt me again? Sometimes, the third reason is, if I forgive, sometimes it feels like I'm hurting other people, that I'm not protecting them. That's like, if I don't hold you accountable for what you did to me, then you'll never change. And if you don't change, then it also means, like, you'll hurt other people. And if you hurt other people because you didn't learn your lesson from hurting me, then what was the point of me forgiving you? So I just think I'll make you feel bad long enough until I actually see some change in your life. Because this way, at least I know, they are protected. Sometimes it feels like I'm, if I forgive, I'm not protecting other people. And other times, last point on this, um, forgiveness feels like they're getting off. Like, they're not paying a price. And I kind of want them to feel bad. You ever, you ever wanted someone to feel bad? You ever want, look at, you ever done this, to look at what you did. And like, it's like, you want them to see, like, this is what you did to this family. You just need to see what you did to this family. You were only thinking about yourself in this moment. You were selfish. That's what you were, selfish. Look at what you, you ever done that? You ever done that where it's like, you want them to see the full impact of what they did? Because hopefully, if they can see the full impact of what they did, they will change. And so it's like, I can't forgive them and act like it doesn't matter, because if they don't see how bad it hurt, then they won't change. Here's why you should forgive. Bitterness will turn you into someone you don't want to be. Why should I forgive? Bitterness will turn you into someone you don't want to be. If you hold someone's offense against them, I promise you, it'll change your personality and you never get better, you get hard. You can see it a mile off on somebody, somebody who's been hurt, someone who's carried that hurt with them. It'll change your personality. It'll shut them down. I I love the, the, the story in Scripture. It shows us a dysfunctional family in David's family, Absalom. You have this kid who's been hurt by his brother. His brother has forced himself on his sister. Complicated story. Like I told you, you think your family is bad? Read the Bible. It'll give you hope every time. Absalom has his brother force himself on Absalom's sister. And out of this, it's like, what in the world happened? So he's angry. He should be angry. And out of his anger, he's tempted to sin. So he comes to David, and he's like, David, look, I'm tempted to sin here. Like, I'm tempted to kill this man. And, and he comes and he tells David this. And he's like, David, I need you to step in. And then David does not step in. You know the story. And, and out of this, Absalom's like, I'm going to kill him. So he goes out and he kills his brother. Kills him. Murders him. Then he comes to, to David. And he's like, you know, David, here's what I've done. And when David hears it, David kicks him out of the kingdom. And this makes Absalom even madder because he's like, wait, wait. My, our brother can force himself on our sister? And you don't do anything to him, and then I have to step in and, and do something here, and now you're going to judge me and kick me out of the kingdom? And so David makes a mistake here in, in, in you know, handling this, and finally Joab, who's David's best friend, comes to him, and he's like, you're making a mess of your family. And he tells him, like, you need to bring Absalom back. And so he goes and brings Absalom back into the kingdom, but get this, he never calls his son into his courts. So here you have a father who has a hurting son, and this father who has this hurting son does not want to see his son. And you know what this does to Absalom? It hurts him. And you know what often happens to a man when he gets hurt? He gets angry. And Absalom gets so angry, and he has this anger build, and he can't let it go, and he can't let go of this resentment until finally he takes control. And when he takes control, you know what he does? He takes David's wives, and he forces himself on David's wives, and then he takes David and kicks him out of the kingdom. Because you know what bitterness will do? It'll turn you into the person you're holding that bitterness towards. I said, bitterness will turn you into the person who offended you. Bitterness will change you from the inside out if I don't let it go. Why forgive? It's time to stop hurting. I don't want to hold this hurt for the rest of my life. I don't want to have this emotion for the rest of my life. I've got to let it go. It's time to forgive. Why is it time to forgive? Because life doesn't flourish when the guilty are punished. I know we think that. Like if the, the people who did wrong can just be punished for what they did wrong, then life will flourish. And it never works that way. It's never near as fulfilling as you think it will be, Absalom. You think it'll give you life to see them hurt? It will not. You think it'll give you life to see them wounded? It will not. Life never flourishes when the guilty are punished. You know when in life flourishes? When the hurt are merciful. When Jesus sees us in our sin, yes, even then, and makes a decision and just say, you know what, forget the world. You know, just forget it. No. In his innocence and in his hurt, he comes to the offender and us and says, I will be merciful to you because Jesus knows that life flourishes when the hurt are merciful. And he comes in and he shows us mercy and he says, I'm not just showing you mercy. If I'm washing your feet, you go wash the feet of others. For blessed are the merciful. Why forgive? I'll tell you why. Because you can. And somebody says, I just can't, Pastor Joel. I'm telling you, you can forgive. I'm telling you, you can forgive. You can guard your heart. We've got a family staying with us right now. John and Carolina, he was doing the, the video Uh, And they've moved from Columbia and they're helping us, you know, pastor this church and reach this community and all of these types of things. And so they're living with us until they get in their place. And if I left my house and I told John, all right, John, you're in charge, man. Here's the keys to the house. And I come home and the house is a disaster. I mean, it's a disaster. I'm like, John, what did you do? John, like what happened in the house? And he said, I didn't do anything. But like a fraternity came and knocked on the door. And they asked if they could have a party in here. And I just didn't want to tell them no. And, you know, they came in here and they had this huge party and just made this mess. And got stuff all over the furniture. And then right after they left, a biker gang showed up. And the biker knocked on the door and said, hey, you know, we're looking at a place to kind of throw our party. And we saw this party just come through here and felt like we could have a party here too. And it's like, ah, fine. And I let them in. They tore up the place. You know what I tell John? John! Just because they knocked on the door, it didn't mean that you had to let them in, John. Like, you could tell them, no, John. You could say, not now, John. You could say, what's on the inside is more important than what's going on on the outside right now. You could say, you can't have access to this home. You can say, I'm not going to let you come in and make a mess of this any longer. You were in control god comes to us and he's like look i know there's offenses that come on the outside but you have to guard your heart and you can and you know how you can because forgiveness is not determination forgiveness is cooperation forgiveness is not saying okay i'm just going to get determined pastor joe i'm gonna forgive him no forgiveness is cooperating with the blood of jesus That as Jesus has forgiven you, with that mindfulness that forgiveness has flowed to you, now forgiveness can flow through you. But it's real hard to forgive the sinner when you believe you're a saint. You know when forgiveness is hard? You know when it's hard? I've been there. You know when forgiveness is hard? When I see them as the sinner and me as the saint. But when I have my own Matthew 18 experience... And I look at my life and I see how many times I offended God, how many times I wronged God. That He knows my every thought. He knows my intentions. He knows what I did. He knows what I left undone. He knows who I hurt. He knows what I do in private. He knows what I do in secret. He knows what I do when no one's looking. He knows what I do each and every moment. And every time I have ever come to His throne of mercy, He has always given me that grace and mercy for my time of need. And when I'm mindful of the grace and forgiveness that has flowed to me, It is real easy then to take that same grace and have it flow through me to anybody who has offended me. So forgiveness is not like I'm going to forgive them. Forgiveness is I know how much I've been forgiven. And with that same grace that has flowed to me now, that same grace will flow through me to the person who wounded me. I'll close with this and then we're going to sing at both locations. Just have a moment where the Holy Spirit can heal us. But I heard this lady, um, she was teaching and preaching. and She talked about this moment in her, her life where she was just betrayed in like a big, big way. And out of this betrayal, she was just so hurt, so impacted by what had been done to her. And she asked the Lord, how can you forgive what you cannot forget? I I just can't forget what they did. And I act like everything's great on the outside, but on the inside, how do you forgive what you cannot forget? And so she went to a Christian counselor and she sat down and she asked that question. And the counselor told her, he said, well, you, you learn to forgive. And she said, but how do you forgive when it keeps coming back to your memory, what they did to you. And he said, I want you to, to do this exercise. And he handed her three by five cards, just a stack of three by five cards. And he said, I want you to write down everything this person did that hurts you. Every time they hurt you. Every time that you found out about that they hurt you. I want you to write it all down. Don't stop until you have no more memory of it she starts writing down all this hurt card after card after card of what this one person had done to her story after story after story of what this one person had done to her she took the cards and laid them all out in front of her on this table and it just covered the table and all she's looking at is this person's trespasses against her and wounds against her she said one of the the greatest gifts that anybody ever gave me, she said I looked up at my, my counselor and he had tears in his eyes and she said just seeing that someone else saw how much I was hurt and seeing it impact their soul and not just mine, it healed me a little on the inside, did you know that just like that woman that I talked about at that 830 service sitting over in that section that God saw her hurt Do you know God sees yours? God sees it when you've been wronged. God sees it when you've been cheated on. God sees you when you've been betrayed. God sees you when you've been left and forsaken and abandoned and forgotten by your father. God sees you, Absalom, when you're out there hurting from what your father did and he won't even bring you in your court to tell you he loves you. God sees you, Absalom. Sometimes it just helps to know that God sees our hurt. Sometimes it just helps to know that God sees our pain. Do you know God sees yours? She said, just knowing someone else saw it brought healing. She said, this counselor brought out this this pad that had all of these red dots on it, red stickers. He said, okay, here's what we're going to do next. We're going to take all of these 3 by 5 cards and we're going to peel off one of these stickers and we're going to place it on that card. And when you place it on the card, he said, I want you to say this. I forgive you of this. And what I cannot forgive you of, surely the blood of Jesus is big enough to cover it. And she said, I went through one by one, picked up the card and read the offense. Read about the transgression. Read about the cheating. Read about the lies. Read about all those things. And I picked it up and I read it. And she said, I forgive you of this. And what my emotions will not allow me to forgive you of, surely the blood of Jesus is great enough to cover it she said, with each one I picked up, I just began weeping. And she said, finally, I got to the last card. And when I got to the last card, I set it down on the table and I looked at the table. And instead of seeing all of these offenses against me, I saw the blood of Jesus that was covering this table. And I knew the same blood that covered that table was the same blood that covered me. And if God could forgive me of all of my mistakes, surely the blood of Jesus is great enough to forgive him of his she said that day I made a decision to forgive him she said I found out in that process that forgiveness is twofold it's a decision and then it's a process that when you make the decision to forgive it does not mean that that memory escapes your soul It just means that when the memory comes back to you now, instead of that memory dragging you through the mud and bringing you mindful of all the mess, you have a memory of the blood of Jesus. You have a memory of how you feel. You have a memory of how you got stronger. You have a memory of how you drew closer to God. You have a memory of how God protected you and provided for you. You have a memory that God can close a chapter and begin a new one. You have a, you have a memory that God can create a new book. God will take a whole new book and start over from square one if he has to. But you have a memory of the goodness and the grace of your heavenly Father. And I want to encourage you to go on that process. That woman months ago made a decision to forgive her father. She's going through the process of healing. The memory just means that what they did impacted you. It doesn't mean that you're a forgiveness failure. You're hearing me? It doesn't mean you're a forgiveness failure if the memory comes back to you. It's just when the memory comes back to you, the way you know you're healing, it means something different to you. And what I want to do today is I want to pray and I want to invite the worship team up. And we're just going to end with a song. I want to encourage you, don't leave. It's 11.09. You've only been here for an hour and nine minutes. I can remember when church went like three hours and then we came back. Right? So you can stick around for five more minutes. And somebody says, well, why does this matter? It's not all about you. Sometimes you moving around distracts somebody from the Holy Spirit who wants to minister to them. And instead of listening to the Holy Spirit, they're watching you walk out the door.
1: Amen, amen.
0: Come on now. So let's just have a moment where we're still and we know He's God. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to invade our life. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to bring healing to us. But maybe someone next to you. So we'll just dim the lights. We're just going to go to God and worship. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you today and I just thank you that your Holy Spirit at all of our locations just allows healing to come into our hearts. Father, we just release forgiveness towards everyone who has wronged us. We release forgiveness towards everyone who has hurt us. We release forgiveness towards every person who may have even taken our life through the grinder and surely what our emotions will not allow us to forgive. Surely, Father, the blood of Jesus is great enough to cover it. And Father, we just release that healing and grace and mercy and love right now to each and every person. God, do what only you can. Healer, do whatever you, what only you can. Holy Spirit, perform a work in our hearts. We love you, Lord, so much. We ask it all in Jesus' name.